everyone. Welcome back to another edition of our Finding Our Way uh, member podcast here at Southridge. Jeff here again with you. And uh, this week, I'm excited to have a conversation with our Ministry Services Director, Vicki Reimer. Vic, how you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Want to say anything? Greet the group? Kind of wish them your best? Here goes. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Giddy up. Um, Vicki, some people uh, around our church may not know you yet. So uh, if you could just give us a little bit of uh, background about your personal family life, whatever. Uh, yeah, sure. Get us, sure. Help us know, get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Vicki Reimer. Um, I'm 54 years old, and I have two children, Alex, who's 27 years old, and Cameron, who's 25 years old. I also have two stepsons now. I have um, Christoph, who's turning 22 next week. And Jaden, who's 19 years old. And I recently, this past July, just married Wes Reimer. So three of the kids are in the medical field. So you can imagine um, the interesting conversations we have at the table. And Wes is a doctor. And yeah, some of them are still in university. So it's a, it's an interesting mix that we have now of a family. Yeah, that's a new change for you. We're going yeah. to talk about it a little bit more later on. But uh, just to kind of orient us, that's sort of where you're at. Uh, these days. Um, unlike me, and uh, I know a number of us around here who kind of grew up uh, in our church, mm-hmm. you parachuted in uh, as a grown-up and uh, kind of didn't come from that background. Can you give us a little bit of just orientation to your spiritual background and even how you ended up at our church? Yeah, um, that's true. It was about, actually, it's funny, I thought it was about 15 years, but I was checking today, actually, and it's about 17 years ago that um, I was working for a gentleman named Udo Schaefer, who's been in our community for quite a while. And um, he had suggested that I come and visit this church that he was attending and that he really enjoyed. And I kind of hemmed and hawed and never really gave him an answer. And then once he asked me, um, or I asked him if he could sponsor my son's hockey team. And he said, I'll make you a deal. I'll sponsor your son's hockey team if you'll come to church. So that was sort of the first experience of coming to um to this church and that was Fairview Louth at the time this this as an aside members uh has been our primary evangelistic strategy throughout bribery (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. you have to do whatever it takes (laughs) yeah especially when it comes to your kids you know that (laughs) so anyway um so I came the first Sunday and sort of sat in the back row and something very unique and special happened and it was as if God was just speaking to me right there and then, and I had never experienced anything like that before. Um, and that, along with sort of the the level of hospitality and welcomeness that that community gave me that day, just, um, yeah, was something I had, I had never known before. And um, yeah, that led to lots of conversations and questions and even heartache at times of just starting to understand that I think I missed out on something pretty special all these years. Uh, you know, then shortly after that, or I don't know how long after that, you, you ended up being baptized in our community and started to kind of track as a Jesus follower, which was new for you. Yeah, well, that even that in itself is really interesting. I just decided one day I was just in a van doing some errands for work. And I just, it was like a moment in time where I just said, I would rather live in a trailer and have God than have all the money in the world and not have God in my life. So I just went back to work and I said to Udo, like, I want to be baptized. And he, I told him what happened and he just said, well, you know, I, I think you should talk to Mike. And I said, well, I can talk to Mike all you want, but 
I'm telling I, you. <laughs> I've accepted Christ into my heart and I would have, that day I would look for water anywhere. I just wanted yeah, to be baptized. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Now uh, we're going to talk about your role around here in just a moment, but if we can kind of evolve into that, yeah. um, your first, at least what I remember, your first sort of uh, significant ministry responsibility uh, was in first impressions, actually as a volunteer when you started leading that ministry area. Do you want to talk about just sort of your ministry history and what got you into that that role? Um, yeah, it, it's funny. It, it actually led back to even um, just maybe just coming into the church later in life and having just a real clear understanding of that feeling of something so new and something so scary and something so outside your comfort zone and um, even the, the amount of ignorance that you would feel coming into something that's so new and just... Uh, having a huge sort of empathy line and understanding how others feel, it sort of in itself led me towards that um, the area of first impressions and hospitality. And then just hearing a summit talk actually from Bill Hybels that spoke about um, find what drives you crazy. Just find what breaks your heart and that's where God will use you the most. And that's kind of how it led me into the, to the um, ministry of first impressions so, yeah. yeah, I remember you were part of that uh, kind of Sunday morning leadership team uh, early on. There were some staff who were part of it and some volunteers who were part of it. And I remember very vividly that that was kind of your piece to, I want to bring sensitivity to the outsider, mm -hmm. sensitivity to the person who doesn't speak this language, doesn't have all the default settings, doesn't have those assumptions. That That's the heartbeat I'm bringing to the table in overseeing this First Impressions ministry. Yeah, which is something that's even even more challenging for me to bring now because I'm not as new and I've been around a long time. It's not that anybody doesn't want to be hospitable. It's just that that feeling only lasts so long before you're what you would want to say, sort of feel like you're part of the group. And um, yeah, so you want to, I was capturing those moments and God was using me at that time. It's a good encouragement for all of us who are listening in on this. You know, do we experience church life through the lenses of someone who is totally new to it and where we don't, uh, you know, reach out to people who are new and get, you know, get the, get the sensitivity, you know, happening faster and, and uh, more frequently because you can, you can lose it really fast. I just met a girl on Sunday and she was here for the first time coming from a Catholic community. And, and I said to her, as she was walking into the church, please, please come and see me after. I'd love to know what you felt in those first, those first few minutes of being here, in the half hour that you were here, and now in the two hours that you're here. Yeah. So I never want to let that go. Yeah, amazing. Now, uh, from that volunteer role in overseeing our First Impressions Ministries, which can you just outline what, what ministries does that include? Um, I might forget something. So it's it's a different whole bunch of different areas, but they would include areas like ushering and cafe and parking. We had volunteer baking at times. We have greeting. We have a first response team. We have a welcome center. Tour um, guides. Tour guides now. Some of these are newer initiatives that happened along the way, just as a, something that we would would bring in because we saw something missing and would would um, bring it onto the first impressions team. So yeah. Yeah, and, and as that grew uh, in our community, your role in overseeing all of those different ministries and working with the individual leaders of those those ministry areas, uh, eventually that turned into a staff position. 
You want to talk about what it was like making the decision to come on staff and work at a church, especially considering your background kind of outside the church? Yeah, well, I I will start by saying here, this probably is somewhere further on in our conversation, but I'll start by saying here, there probably isn't one thing I've done here at Southridge where I haven't had to have a little bit of nudging and a little bit of of pushing me along um, to say, uh, you know, you you got this. And, and, and I will say in addition to that, that every place that God has um, landed me and when I fully embrace the role, I've understood why God has placed me there. So um, coming on staff was one of those decisions that was at first like, what? Like, are you kidding? And as I played into it and realized, you know what? Whatever. If God wants me to answer a phone, if God, whatever he wants me to do, I'm open to doing. And that's what it was. It was the front desk and first impressions. So I also realized that at that time, I had about 10 or 15 years left of my professional life. And I was like, it was a time when you're just reflecting on what do I want to do with this last part? And I thought I really wanted to give back to something that was pretty purposeful and meaningful to me. And that's what sort of nudged me in that direction. Little did I know, by the way, that we were going to go multi-site very soon after that. So going from one location of First Impressions to three locations, three three different facilities of First Impressions. Yeah, that's some of the things you're just not ready for. Well, but God, the, God knows that, but I just didn't know that. And that was kind of the beginning of the rocket ship ride that has been your tenure on staff because, you know, it wasn't long after that then uh, when we went multi-site and you yeah. started overseeing three locations worth of First Impression Ministries and you were part of a larger department that we call Operations Ministry. Um, can you just give us a, a description of what's included in operations ministry or what was back when you were leading First Impressions? Um, well, when I was leading First Impressions at the time, it was it was operations. So it would be like facility and things, you know, things of that nature. It's the, the whole operations or ministry services that we call it now, um, it exists to sort of oversee and grow, you know, the team of individuals that provide leadership to the infrastructure of our community. Yeah. So that would be like IT, facility, um, communications, HR, finance, finance all, yeah. all of those different yeah. areas. Yeah, the, this operations department that had had uh, become that you were a member of overseeing First Impressions Ministry is really the set of infrastructural supports mm-hmm. for the rest of the ministry. As a ministry, we're fostering a lifestyle of full devotion in inspiration, connection, and action primarily, and primarily doing that through these three primary programs of our Sunday services, our life groups, and our uh, location-specific and global anchor causes. But this other department, this operations department, kind of provides the supports for those departments. And that's where you kind of found yourself for a while until, we'll get to this next phase, until you started running that actual department and going from the director of uh, first impressions to the operations director. Do you want to talk about that shift at all? Uh, Once again, there had to be a little nudging and there had to be a little encouragement. And I mean, the hardest, one of the hardest things you ever do is, is go from, um, working with people that you love dearly to, to leading them. And I just wanted that to go well. And, um, that was a big decision and a big jump to make. I also knew that God had sort of placed me. It's funny when you look back at the time, you don't understand it, but I had, um, certainly I'd done bookkeeping and done training on something that was uh, called business vision. When I worked for Plexus, which was a computer networking company, well, we use that software, that software here for our own accounting, um, I had you worked for an IT company. I worked for an so IT company. So I had that background. Like it, it was just funny to see how all the things that I had done in life kind of came together to allow me to 
um, to do this role. And, and it, it worked. And, yeah, they, and the coolest part from my perspective is one of the people who, especially in that era was, was part of doing the nudging. Um, one of the coolest parts was that you were bringing such kind of a vast diversity of technical bandwidth in being able to understand administrative processes, understand finance a little bit, understand accounting, understand IT, IT. and tech there support was a little, There's a little, yeah. But bringing a, a leadership and a relational strength that could really change the culture of this department. And it was in that era, kind of er, early on in your leadership of this department that you had formerly worked as a member of, that you changed the name from operations ministry to ministry services. That was a significant change. So just give us the heart behind what that term was intended to communicate. Well, I think it was just to be a ministry. We wanted to not just be be the doers. We actually wanted to walk along the side the people to enhance ministry and to help grow um, what God was asking us to do. And we felt like we could do that better with, it's more of a helpful name than it is sort of a... Um, yeah, an organizational name. It's just ministry services just felt more like a helpful name of people who want to walk alongside others and um, and work with them, not not ahead of them, but with them. Yeah, it felt more supportive. And, yes, and really, supportive. I, would, I would feel like what you were bringing was a here-to-serve heart to the ministry because operations ministry and the different kinds of ministry that are associated with that, they can be pretty task-oriented. They can be pretty policy and procedure centric, and sometimes they can kind of miss the the personal, you know, life changing, difference making bullseye that ministry is intended to be. And I felt like you brought a real people centeredness and a real here to serve heart that you know was even represented by that name change. It was a subtle thing around here, but I think internally at least it was very significant. And so for those of us who are listening that you know really didn't understand that this department even existed, might we might be familiar with an operations department uh, in the corporate world, but to understand, hey, this department exists. It's called Ministry Services around here, and this is why it's called Ministry Services. I think that's significant for all of us. Mhm. Absolutely. It's um it's it's Definitely where God has his hand in it is that, you know, like you said, these folks are typically task-oriented. They actually do it with an excellence. We also know that when God God is nudging us to do things, it can be kind of messy. So it can go against their natural tendencies. So that you're trying to always walk that tension between providing programs with excellence and the messiness and obedience that we need to take as being Christ followers in a church that just wants to to maybe move forward in ways that we never expected to. It reminds me, we talk about this a lot, Vic, the, 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 the kind of life verse for our church mm-hmm. of sorts is this Proverbs 14.4 that says an empty stable stays clean, but no mm-hmm. income comes from an empty stable. And you've mm-hmm. got to kind of tolerate a certain degree of messiness, but... Ministry services and operations ministry kind of exist to keep things clean. Mm-hmm. And when Absolutely. ministry and when kingdom impact comes with a certain messiness, there's a bit of a clash of values there that I've really appreciated the way you've helped us navigate. But when they work together, wow. Yeah, they're When amazing. they collaborate together, it's amazing. Now, final question just on our members' orientation to this department called ministry services. Uh, if I'm listening and I have background or passion or... Uh, some skill or capacity in one of these areas, finance, uh, facility management, construction, IT, communications, these kinds of things. Uh, and I wanted to be more involved. Uh, who would I contact? 
Oh, you could, well, first of all, you can call me anytime. So you can just call the church and ask for Vicki. You can email me anytime at vrymer at southridgechurch.ca. You can email info at southridgechurch.ca. Um, you can see me on a Sunday morning. Just ask for myself or ask for one of the operations people at one of the other locations, and they'll connect you that way. Um, I will say it is it definitely is one of those areas where some of our more public volunteer roles may not look like um, they're suited to some of the folks that have these skills and talents. Um, but sitting down with you and having a cup of coffee, you may see the need even more than I see the need. So just realize that, like, it could be something, you know, we've more recently had somebody doing some grant writing because they have the skill of that. And, and somebody else that came and said, you know what, I just really, really love organizing. I just want to organize. And it's like, we have three locations. Of course we need that, but it's not one of our more public volunteer opportunities. So having you come to me and talk to me, we can sort of, you know, um, put together a bank, even even if we don't need it at the time. Like I said, you may know that need more than I do, so we may need it immediately, or we have a bank that we pull from. But, you know, it's like we always say, this is a potluck, and we all need to bring what we have to the table, and there isn't a question of if we need you. We need all of us. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's I appreciated you making the comment that, you know, some of these uh, contributions that are unique to the ministry services world, they're far less visible in the life of our church. That's why some Absolutely. of us as members, we may not have even realized this was a department, but this is a huge area of the life of our church, especially in the internal workings of how our church runs. And so there's tons of significant opportunity for people to contribute in that way, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Okay. Well, I want to shift gears here and uh, talk about one of the uh, kind of areas that you oversee because uh, last night, uh, we had our Southridge AGM and approved our operating budget. Yes. So I want to talk about money and finances and financial management and just get your 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 uh, voice into all of these kinds of things. Um, obviously, this is a significant component of your job, especially from year end all the way to the AGM. It makes your life uh, quite busy and hectic, uh, as well as Kathy Vandriel, our finance director. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, can you just talk about a little bit of how the process of developing our budget and bringing it to that member approval, how does that process work? Okay, let me start from the, from the beginning maybe. So um, there's individuals on staff who sort of oversee specific budget lines. So in early January, I mean, they do this monthly too, but as on a yearly basis, they would look at the, the how they landed um, yearly with their current or last year's budget and figure out where they've landed. And then by using even even their work plan that they've, they've made up, they look at their work plans, they see what's ahead, they look at the goals, um, and they set some new targets for the year to come. So they would look at the previous year, they would look at their work plan, and they would set some new goals and objectives and um, land on a budget for that for that current year coming up. Yeah, they and would most then... of that, just to interrupt, sorry. Yeah, sure. M- most, most of that is done by departmental supervisors in collaboration with their departments. Yep, well, yep. Yeah, most Absolutely. of the people so... who sign off are those supervisors. Yeah, so they take that to their supervisor. They work through it with their supervisor. Their supervisor then submits that to the finance department where they compile sort of draft one yeah. of the of the budget. Then, um, you know, the next step would be, at the, or even at the, around the same time, we're landing on our year end and where we've landed for the year. That's where the elders would get together with yourself and they would sit down and they would look, you know, 
look at where they landed for the year to help determine what the total budget will be for the coming year. In other words, if 2018 landed spending at 2.3 million, you know, we'll determine how much, if any, the current year budget needs to sort of increase or decrease based on how we landed previously and our goals for the coming year. Yeah, looking at expenses, looking at trending, especially yep. looking at giving and capacity and, yep. and, and assessing all that at the big picture level. And then that big picture conversation and all of the little conversations that are happening in individual budget lines and departments, they kind of mesh together. They mesh together. So each, so at that time, they may land on a percentage that they, that they decide, you know, in the coming year, you know, we have an increase and um, they take that back and we would sort of tweak all of our budgets. Like you said, we mesh it all together and we tweak the dials just a little bit to make sure that we're not compromising ministry, but at the same time being financially responsible with where we need to land that year. After that's done, we have another draft and we sort of, um, we sit down with what we would set a meeting up with our, our budget development team. And this is a, sort of a group of individuals who have a vested interest in the finances of our financial health of our community and even some experience in that area. We, that would be, uh, that would take place with the lead pastor yourself and um, a representative from our elders team and some key staff members and myself. And we would have sort of some open dialogue about where the budget is at at that point. Um, that'd be an opportunity for them to even say, you know what, it might help to have this a little clearer for our congregation if we, you know, show this this way, just to sort of help give some feedback into that time. Once yeah. we've landed there. Just just to speak into that yeah. as well, that, that budget development group, uh, as a representative of our membership, I feel serves a really important role because when we bring a budget to the AGM and show it to members for the first time, not only is it overwhelming just as a first impression, for many members, it's overwhelming just because we're not paying much attention or have much capacity in the language of finances. So we're being asked to approve something that we don't really understand and have the time or space to get our arms around. And so taking some people from our membership that have interest in this, having a separate meeting, we're in a more exhaustive way. We a little walk bit more through, detail, yeah. Yeah, we walk through all the dynamics of it, uh, allows the membership to have a little bit more of a voice of input and provides us a little bit more member accountability in the process than just the AGM hands go up and, you know, just kind of not mm -hmm. blindly, but kind of trustingly uh, uh, approving it in that sense. It's worked really well. Well, it's worked really well. Their feedback is, is great. So um, that has helped a lot. So once that meeting's taken place, um, any adjustments or just details of how we want to present it, um, the documents are completed for the for the annual general meeting that we had yesterday and the membership votes on it. Yeah. And, and uh, boom. So then, forward. Yeah. And we yeah, move forward. Yeah. Now, yeah. A couple comments about moving forward or questions about moving forward. Uh, it is ultra important for us to live out financial integrity and responsibility from an internal perspective. Vicki, can you talk about some of the practices we have in terms of financial controls? How do we safeguard how we steward and spend donor dollars so our members can trust this to a greater degree? Um, yeah, first of all, like just even how we go about the budget development is just such a, a cool thing. I mean, we have the people who care about this speak into it. So we do have the individuals who are within those departments looking at it, you know, uh, I'll give it, we do have a Christy Wilms who's, who's seasoned the stats of 35,000 coffee cups and decides that, you know what, this year we want to be more environmentally friendly and she'll advocate for that. And we want that. We want the advocacy across the board, but we also want representation that each ministry is being cared for. So that's super important to us within the budget process. 
At the same time, um, once everything's landed on, some of the, the things that we do is we make sure that we have um, two signing officers signing on, on the checks, one of those being an elder every week. So that, that takes place. We have an elders meeting that happens monthly where the financial summary is looked at to see how our finances are going. We have the um, ministry services director and the finance director, so Kathy and myself, looking at the variances that happen and seeing if there's anything that looks out of sorts during the year. And even just the folks, um, the departmental heads and the folks that signed for those budget lines would monthly get the results and see where their variances are. And so they can keep a handle throughout the year rather than waiting to any surprises at the end. So we can manage that with integrity. Yeah, a couple others that I'm thinking about are, um, I mean, you didn't say this, but it kind of is obvious for you and I, we do get an audit every year. Absolutely. We which, have our audit. I mean, yeah. that lasts about two months. Mm-hmm. It's quite an exhaustive process. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know that the auditors have spoken into over the years are uh, the, the controls around the handling of funds. Segregation of, of duties and yeah. things like that. And yeah, so there, absolutely. There's been some of those practices in place. And we've got a group of church members, uh, kind of a smaller group of church members who have committed every week to just doing the count, mm-hmm. right? They collect, we, we collect the offering, bring it back to, to St. Catherine's location, our offices during the week. And this group then counts that. And that whole process is kind of overseen in a secure, controlled sort of Absolutely. way. Absolutely. We make sure that there's three um, unrelated parties in the room, all of those types of things, the room's locked. Yeah. All, all of that just to protect the integrity of, uh, of the funds. Yeah. So, I mean, this might be a bit dry for some of us listening, you know, on a car ride or on a, on a jog. But uh, I think at the end of the day, these are important conversations for the integrity and trustworthiness of how our church spends its funds. We, oh, we, a yeah. lot of money goes through here. And it's surprising how much we don't know. We just assume, some people just think you come in and we just count the money. And it's like, you have a team that does this and yeah. they come in every week and you have controls in place and scheduling and things like that. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Another thing I want to talk about really the final thing about the budget itself is that you know some of us uh, I feel like don't don't appreciate the significance of what the budget represents and I say it because I, I hear a lot in casual conversations that I get in and with my life group and whatever that from a donor perspective you know every donor wants their dollars to have impact but the result is that so often you'll hear donors kind of prefer to invest in certain things over others or certain aspects of the church over others. Like, you know, I want to give to missions or I want to give to an anchor cause or I want to give to student ministry or I want, there are kind of these segregated aspects of ministry that they want their dollars to go towards to maximize impact. Vicki, knowing you're so involved in the budget development process, speak to us about the cumulative impact that we feel when we collectively pull this budget together. Well, we uh, I would say that First of all, we make sure that um, we have our anchor causes. We know that 50 cents of every dollar is going into that. This isn't whatever we have left over, we're going to put towards something. If we have something left over, we'll put it towards something. These anchor causes and the focus of it are, you know, are where we we are. We put our, our money where our mouth is. So we do believe in that. That is where our money goes. Many churches I know put more probably into even like a Sunday morning experience, which is a beautiful thing. But I think... Um, where your dollars go is what's important, and, and we make sure that these anchor causes are supported, and it's shown through our budgets. And it's not what we feel like. It's not the flavor of the month. It's constant 
um, investment into these anchor causes that we believe the continuity and over the years makes a difference in the um, the relationships that are built and the life change that that is impacted by it, and it's reflected in our budget. Yeah, I think the thing that I would I would add to that for our members to appreciate is that from the perspective of those of us who are intimately involved in developing the budget and and in that sense arranging and organizing how we would steward the church's funds, um, you know, some people will say, "Oh, I don't want to give to X." X usually being staffing. <laughs> uh, I don't want to give to X. I want to give to ministry. Mm-hmm. We understand every line individually and especially every line pooled together collectively as the very best ministry we can do. We, we view the whole budget as ministry, not certain lines as ministry. And I think that's an important clarification to those listening and to those maybe outside the development process who might separate the two. Yeah, and we have to be careful. People, like you said, they have a passion for something. So we are we we stay away as much as possible from designated giving, right? We, in the shelter, we have some of that, but we we are very clear that um, you know we there's a lot of prayerful planning that goes into our budget and how we're going to spend these dollars, and we have to trust. We want we want that to be trusted, so that somebody doesn't come out and just sort of decide that they really like blank this year and they want to give to it. Yeah, we want. You know, everything takes time so that there's representations and everybody's achieving the goals that they want to achieve in the best ministry that we can do. Yeah, and it feels like the the ministry then is done through the collective budget as opposed to some lines yes. actually not being ministry and some lines being ministry. We see them all as ministry together, working yep. together to maximize the impact that we can have as a church. So, okay, that's probably enough discussion that people can tolerate about budgets. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, Let's ratchet it up then, because what I want to talk about today, the day after we approve the budget, is a little bit of how we pay for this budget. And, (laughs) you know, we kind of joke at the AGM that, okay, members, okay, members, you know, you just voted for this, now you got to pay for it. Um, But, you know, the way our budget gets funded at the end of the day, is through the donations of our people and particularly through the contributions, and I'm going to use the term, the tithes of our members. Now, before I talk to you as the director of ministry services who oversees a finance department, I want to talk to you as a person who came to faith later in your life and didn't know this word tithe at a very personal level. Talk about your personal journey into this concept of tithing and how it first hit you and how you understand it today. Well, you're assuming I've landed. So I would just start by saying I'm still on this journey, okay? Um, Tithing is is as much about the practical act of tithing as it is the heart of tithing. And it's both. And I'm still on a journey of, of... seeing that grow in myself. So I would say that 17 years ago, coming into a church where I didn't even know what the word tithing actually meant, you know, I was, at the time, I was married to um, an unbeliever, so I wanted to be super sensitive to the idea of giving it all, let alone tithing. The last thing I wanted to do was turn him off church. So that that made for um, a period of time of being in the church, of just being really careful and sensitive to that and sort of, but also looking around and just seeing the amazing generosity around me. Um you know, fast forward to a time when I was, uh, you know, all of a sudden began being on my own and thinking that, you know, I have this opportunity now, but also at the same time, realizing that there's a fear, there's just a fear of trust that, that scares you, especially when you're in a vulnerable place of, of, will I have enough? Will God provide? And, you know, trying to work through that. So that was still a journey that I was on. Then come a little further and landing in a relationship, um, with, with a man who, who, 
um, believe so much in the act of, of, of tithing and not just from a practical sense of, of, of tithing, but from a heart perspective of saying, we don't deserve any of this. This is all God's. And first and foremost is to give back to him and would live a life of less than just in order to do that. So um, yeah, he would have just, you know, he is still showing me a lot about about what this this idea of of tithing and, and giving back first to God and the posture in which to do it. He does it with no fanfare. He does it with no expectation. He does it with full trust. Um, I don't even know if he'd like me to say that I'm talking about You're this right now. You're not even supposed to talk about this, he but we are. He's never heard this, but yeah. I will say that he's just, I'm not saying it for, for only for the reason that he's taught me so much about the joy of giving that way. Yeah. And this, and, and yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion about this. So I'm going to summarize some thoughts yeah. from my perspective yeah. too, because, you know, people... I think the two biggest breakdowns are people get fixated with a number and, you know, people wonder about, you know, what about other opportunities? So first of all, when we're we're talking about the number, right, the word tithe does mean 10th and it's, it's kind of a picture that's painted in the old Testament for people who recognize that everything they have is a gift from God. And to represent that, they're going to respond in faith and obedience to God by giving back the first 10% of what they've entrusted to him. And so I liked what you said, Vicki, that first and foremost, this is a response of faith and obedience and worship to God. Mm-hmm. This isn't about my church, Mm-mm. first of all. This is, this is a, a faith step to live off a lesser portion than 100% of what God has given you the capacity to live off. That's that's value number one when it comes to tithing. And so when people talk about, you know, how much or where they should give that to, my first response is, hey, step one is to have the faith and obedience to live off less than God's entrusted to you. Right. That, that's step one. Yeah. You know, once you're at the point where you're in that kind of 10% ballpark, which was not just kind of commanded in the Old Testament, we also say that it's commended in the New Testament. Um, Jesus affirmed this practice as well. But, you know, some some religious leaders were testing Jesus on this and they were asking him, you know, about uh, tithing and things like that. And he says, hey, good for you. You tithe and you give 10% to, you know, your local temple, your local uh, kind of thing, but you neglect things like compassion and the justice of God. You're ignoring the needs around you. And Jesus says, you should tithe, yes, but he says, you should also not leave these other things undone. And both in the words of Jesus and what we see in the Old Testament through the practice of things that the Bible would call offerings, you know, giving to other initiatives, you know, when people wonder about, you know, how much I should support my local church versus a ministry I'm passionate about or a missionary that I want to sponsor or a compassion kid that I I sponsor or things like that, you know, our encouragement is that we tithe together to enable the operations of a local church to function. And then even beyond that, consider all of the opportunities in our personal life and in other ministry environments that that God puts in front of us. That's the blend of what the Old Testament would describe as tithes and offerings and what Jesus would refer to as tithing, yes, but also leaving the former undone. That can be overwhelming for people. So can you talk about it, just... It can be, yeah. Whoa, you know, tithe and then more than that? Like, Well, and I would just... And my biggest encouragement to folks would be, number one, pray. Number two... I mean, read your Bible, like look into the Bible, see what God has to say about it. And 
just be open. Go talk to somebody. Ask to speak to one of our pastors. Ask if you know of somebody who, you know, mentioned something about tithing around you and you think they may be someone who does. Talk to them about it. It's confusing. It's it's a lot, right? Just to get a, a better understanding of it rather than shying away from it. And if I don't talk about it, I won't have to do it or it won't happen. It's, it's, it's joy-filled and it's exciting. And it's, I would just encourage folks to take some small, faithful steps of, of consistent giving as a starting point. And in the meantime, you know, look into some of those other things to help with it. Yeah, you're talking about the the leveraging of community in that journey to first of all understand tithing, understand offerings, understand, you know, giving to our church through its operating budget, giving to other initiatives that the church has, uh, giving to other ministries and initiatives beyond the church, giving to other needs that God puts in front of you, that whole package, that's a journey best done in relationship. Yes. And you've experienced that in your own life, I, I know, with uh, conversations with people around you. Yep, absolutely. Can you talk just about, again, I know you're not describing it as a finish line, but having experienced and now grown so much in this way, what what would you want to say today to your former self who wouldn't have understood anything about tithing or giving beyond tithing um, that you've experienced now today? Mm, what would I want to say? I guess um, probably just, just, just start, just, just take a chance, like just, just take a step and, and trust. And the things, probably the things that I'm saying for everyone else to do, just pray, trust, talk, um, um, read your Bible. Um, yeah, the, prob- probably those things were, were lacking in me a bit. And even when I thought they weren't, even when I was like, I can't do it now because it's like, well, then the moment that that changed, what stopped you immediately? It's like, okay, there's fear in all of us. And just to try and, and work through that. And the only way we can work through it is to delve, to, to go into the word and, and, yeah, I'm thinking about the passage in Malachi chapter three, where where God's speaking through the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel about He calls it robbing him. Yeah, you know, you're robbing me because you're failing to bring your full tithe to the storehouse. He says so that there'll be food, so that there'll be enough resources in my house, in my temple, to do the work of the people of God. And you know, again, I would say, kind of level one is that this isn't about you in the church. This is about you and God. You know, do, do you realize how seriously God takes this? But then in that passage, after you know, he talks about robbing him, he says, test me in this. This is the only place in scripture where God actually gives us a dare. Yeah. He says, test me in this and see, this is the part that I would want to share with somebody. He says, see if I don't open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out so much blessing you can't even take it in. And I, for me personally, being on that journey, and I mean, you and I have this conversation among ourselves yeah. a, a lot, not just as co-workers, but as, as followers of Jesus. Um, it's been amazing over the years to see the way that God responds to a church and to individuals and families who grow in their faithfulness in this and really all of the intangible ways that he's opening up the windows of heaven for you to experience this. So, you know, for members who are listening, I I wouldn't want this conversation to come across as, hey, uh, you're a member and we've approved a budget, so uh, get with the program (laughs) in in a legalistic or obligatory kind of way. I would want you, first of all, to appreciate the dynamic that this is between you and God and the way in which this opens up the opportunity for you ex- to experience him opening up the windows of heaven for you. Never mind then the fact that it is an opportunity for us to pool together 
our resources to do some amazing things together that we couldn't otherwise do alone. Yeah. Those small, faithful steps. You uh, may be very surprised at the results. <laughs> um, one final comment on that, Vicki, because I, I, I know this is another thing that most members probably aren't aware of. Um, you do, as the Director of Ministry Services, you have access to some folks in our community that in a very private, confidential way would be willing to provide some support or some counseling or some like kind of financial management advice to help a person steward their funds in a more uh, God-directed way? Yeah, we don't have um, as much, it's not as much of a formal ministry team, but what it is, is a group of individuals who just, who care and have a heart for helping others in in this area. So if if you're struggling, um, it's just important because we want everybody to be in a good place. And this isn't, this is as much about the tithing as it is to make sure that you're doing okay. If you're really struggling, if you're having problems that way, to just sit with somebody, sit down with somebody. It's amazing when you, when you, um, that honesty of just sitting down and saying, I'm struggling with this. You know, this is what I struggle with, whether it's finances, whether it's tithing, whether it's whatever, no matter what we're struggling with, the, the more open we are um, with one another, the easier it is to, to get past that, to help each other, to grow with each other. So yeah, get you can get in touch with myself or with Kathy, and we can hook you up with somebody who can who would be more than happy to sit down and walk you through some um, some practical steps you can take. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Hey, as we wrap up, uh, I want to shift gears because uh, you're actually in the process. This is where this conversation, I think, gets a little awkward because you're in the process of wrapping up uh, your staff role around here. You mentioned earlier that there's been a lot of big change in your life and in the last year uh, getting involved in a a new marriage relationship. Um, I know that recently in the last month or so, you've communicated this to our membership. Can you just give us kind of the the summary, you know, more kind of face to face with me, but kind of as listeners are are hearing this uh, to hear your heart on this? What's been been going on? Well, first of all, I wrote it because so I didn't have to say it because I knew I'd be teary. But now, <laughs> but now I'm probably in a place where um, I'll get a bit teary as I'm saying it. So, um, yeah, it's I'm 54. I'm at a time in my life where you know, looking at the lifestyles, somewhat similar to when 10 or 15 years ago when I took the role here, just saying, what's that next season of my life look like? And I recently remarried, and I'm in a. a um, a union that's much later in life than most people move into this place and finding that I just want to have more availability and flexibility. Um, Wes is a doctor and it makes it very difficult for him. He's a lot of long hours. So when, you know, when he is off, it would be nice to spend more time with him and do things together. And we're just finding it's a season where I just want to have a little bit more flexibility, but certainly not a season where I want to step away from this community. It has been um, so supportive and so wonderful to myself, to Wes, to all the ups and downs that I've certainly experienced. And I owe so much to everyone and, and to you, Jeff. So I just, um, I'm excited. I, I, you know, two weeks, uh, just a little while back when I was considering this, I remember being in the car and I remember God saying to me, Vicki, this story is not over. It is not over for you. It's not over for Wes. And I'm excited to see what's next, but I, I'm certainly not going far. Yeah, so for us, I mean, internally, and I've been journeying this with you for a number of months now, so this this, this is both a huge shift in our staff configuration, um, but at some level, you know, not much of a shift at all for you because, you know, you and Wes want to continue to be around and give the, the best of the rest of your one and only life to what God is doing around here just in a different 
kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to work. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge adjustment on the work side for us, for sure. Can you give our members any uh, kind of insight uh, as to the kind of person we'd be looking for to fill your shoes? Uh, we're in the process of we've now posted this role and uh, are looking to, to hire for it. What, what kind of person, if, if, if we're listening today or if we know someone as we're listening today that, that comes to mind, who are we looking for to, to, to play well, this role? Well, first of all, somebody who can work with Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you joked with me the other day that, you know, if this person doesn't have the skill set of texting back within 10 seconds, they're, they're, they're not a, fit for the job. Yeah, yeah, it's a prerequisite of the job. Sort of a little, it's a bit of an interview piece, so they don't know it. But if you're listening out there, that's what it is. So, um, well, first of all, I would want to say the same thing that... I um, say to to all of my leaders that come on or take a role from somebody else, um, and that is, we don't need we don't need another Vicky Reimer. Okay, we don't need to replicate. You know, I have no idea what God has in store. I just know that He will provide. I know that we have. It's a very different. We have three buildings now. Each of those buildings has lots of land. We can do. You know, there's things that are happening all the time. Our jam company. There's. Lots happening around here, and that's not slowing down. It's um, it's not slowing down. So it's not. You have to be somebody who can walk through that that sort of that tension I talked about earlier of providing excellent um, operational support, and at the same time living in that messiness of we're growing and we're not stopping or slowing down. So that in itself, and not looking for another Vicky Reimer, but looking for somebody who is ready for feels a calling or a sense of calling to this next season. Awesome. Gang, uh, as you're listening to this, know that we would really appreciate your prayers and thoughts uh, in regards to this hire. This is now really the thing that Vicky and I will focus on together. Uh, as of last night's AGM, you've shifted now to a, a more of a part-time uh, function to really just help transition uh, out of this and and to transition someone into this. So you and I, as of today, are now picking up the the hiring process and moving that into into kind of a full steam ahead sort of a way. So Uh, As you and I focus on this, members, I hope that uh, as you're hearing this, you'll give some prayer to this. You'll give some thought to this. And if you have ideas or recommendations on people who could play this role, uh, we would certainly appreciate it, especially this time of year. Uh, As we wrap this up, I do want to say not only thanks to, to Vic for being a part of this, but, you know, thanks for the last decade of your work life. You've given more than the very best that you've had to give to the work of God and to this church that you love. Uh, We love you. We appreciate that so much. I've said this to you privately. I'll say this to you even more privately now, although everyone's listening. Uh, You are probably the best raw leader I've ever worked with. You're probably the best raw leader I've ever worked with. Your ability to just default to solve problems and to figure out how to do things by asking a who question instead of a what or how question, is more innate and more kind of uh, effective in you than in almost anyone I've ever seen. So I'm excited to see the future of your leadership around here. I'm excited to see you and Wes uh, kind of, you know, head out into the into the future as a, a happy newly married couple and uh, know that we're just grateful for the role that you've played in first impressions and now in ministry services over these last number of years. So guys, thanks for joining us in this conversation. We'll see you next week as we continue finding our way. Take care.